Hello? Hello. Hey, are you there? Yes. Is my audio good? Yeah, I'm good. Are you good? I'm good. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> Greetings, everybody, and welcome to the Mushroom Blading How to Be Unpopular podcast. My name is Frank Stoner. I'm a rollerblader and academic. Um, I write articles for one magazine as well as a blog for that same publication called Second Place which deals with rhetorical and linguistic issues and rollerblading and rollerblading discourse. And to change things up a little bit, in this podcast, I am joined by Mr. Joey McGarry of Kamloops, British Columbia, for a reverse interview in which I, the guest, will be asking questions to Mr. McGarry. Joey, welcome to your own podcast. Thanks for having me, Frank. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure. I'm, I'm optimistic that we can... Uh, Get some good things discussed here, and, and get some good get some good answers. I'm ner- uh, I'm nervous, and my hands are sweating. Are you really? No. Well, no, no. I had a drink to calm myself down. It's it's weird to be on the other side, but no, I'm excited. We're gonna get into a good flow here. Yeah, I think so too. I'm I'm very excited. I'm, I'll admit to being a little bit nervous too. I, I watch um I watch the show. Um, oh God, what was it called? I can't even think of it. But, you know, there's lots of shows about newscasters and things, and you always see that, that footage right up, and then somebody says, okay, we're live, and they say, hi, I'm Tom Brokaw, welcome to the so-and-so show, and we're live, and they just have to, like, switch gears like that? Yeah, it was a good intro on your part. Well, cheers, yeah, thanks. But it, it definitely feels like, it definitely feels like that, that moment where, okay, we're live, pull it together, you know? And they're always, like, putting out a cigarette, and they go on camera, you know? <laughs> Is that what you did? Um... No, but I opened a beer that I hadn't started drinking yet. Yeah, I made myself a drink, and I chewed some um, nicotine gum earlier. Wow, really? Yeah, I've been experimenting with it recently. Um, Don't get hooked on nicotine, man. From somebody who is, I can tell you it's a bad thing to do. Well, yeah, I I don't get addicted to things really easy. Like, I I smoke every once in a while, just a drag here and there, and Uh I've been good up to this point, so I should be okay. But I found for writing it was... uh, it was actually pretty good. I'm not. I'm not advocating anything though. So, it's besides. Nor, that. nor would I dare. <laughs> um. Well, let me. Let me. There's. Uh, there, there's going to be some weird things coming up. But I want to. I want to start with a couple of, kind of basic questions, just to kind of, let me. I guess, or maybe let the let the listeners have a better sense of what. Uh, what is what is a day like in in Kamloops? What what do you know? What time the sun came up this morning, or what time it set? I imagine y'all are pretty far north. Probably seven ten, seven fifteen, something like that. I get okay. up for work at seven on the weekdays, and uh, it's dark. So yeah, somewhere between seven fifteen and seven thirty, I would say. Okay. What time does it set in the afternoon? Uh, it's getting later now, which is exciting. So, five thirty, or uh, oh no, maybe not. Yeah, maybe about five thirty. Okay, that's not too bad. It's changed. I guess y'all aren't, y'all, y'all aren't that far north, then, are you? Uh, no, no, okay. no, not too far. Okay, because when probably- I was living in when I was living in Wales, um, I realized that we were about as far north in Wales as Edmonton, which uh, was instructive to me because. Uh, Edmonton, I think of as being like at the North Pole. Yeah, it is. It's different down there. I don't know exactly what, but I know it's different from us. At least that's what I remember. Uh, How far is Edmonton from you? 
eight hours, I think. Oh God! Like yeah. straight north or what? North northeast? Northeast, yes, a little bit further up. I okay. should have a map. I, I should have all these things ready for my fact checking for Frank Stoner. Oh God! Okay. <laughs> well, it'll it'll be. I don't know. I don't. I don't think that you'll. It's it's mostly your opinions. I think that people want. Okay. Not necessarily your ability to locate facts on the internet. I have lots of those. Not internet, facts, opinions. Oh, good. Oh, good. Um, okay. Well, so let's 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 get into it. I want to I want to I want to start you off with uh, with a weird question that may have bearing later on. Um, mm -hmm. And there's there's a follow up to it. But the first the first question is going to sound really strange, and I, I hope that I hope that the audience will uh, will will bear with us in this exercise. Um, but the first question I want to ask you is: Do you think that the world is real? And by that, by that, I mean, do you think that there is an external reality independent of human beings governed by a totally separate set of principles? Um, or do you think, for instance, that um, the universe and the world and everything else is the, a kind of a co-creation of human beings and what's out there? Well, since I'm really into pop culture references, um, I really like the movie or the concept of the movie Truman Show. Okay. And I, and I feel like uh, life is, is like that sometimes. And when I heard that simulation theory thing, which I'm not going to be able to go in depth about, that made a lot of sense too. Mm -hmm. That um, we're just in one giant hallucination dream. But uh, in terms of external forces, that one's really tough. Um, let me think. Like in Truman Show... It wasn't so much that I think that we're on a TV show right now, uh -huh. but um, we're on an internet show. We're on an internet show right now, um, but but as far as this being part of the real reality or some other reality, I think that there's uh, infinite realities. I like that. I also like that theory that. Um, Every choice that you make makes a reverberation of alternate realities. I like that one too. And I again, I'm not. I don't have the facts, but uh -huh. are you aware of that one? I am. Like, yeah. Like the I movie uh, Sliding Doors, where uh, the movie's in two parts. Uh, okay. One where she gets on the train to meet the dude, and one where she doesn't get on the train and she doesn't meet the dude, uh -huh. and how different life is. But I mean, I, I just did the roundabout thing. Where I may many, not have actually many, answered the question. How many different? How many different of those parallel universes or whatever uh, do you think there would be in your life that would be significantly interesting or significant departures from well, your current life? I always reflect on the one if I would have remained playing hockey at a professional level. Hmm. Level. That's that's like the first one. Um, do you think? Do you think on 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 air like this? Can you can you admit? Do you think that you had the chops for that? Yeah, I've been well. I would have done WHL easily, which is you know the step under NHL. And I was told that I was adequate enough to maybe have a stint as a puck moving defenseman in the NHL from someone who's a big hockey fan. But I don't know if they were just blowing smoke up my ass. But I mean, I'll take the compliment and I'll tell other people the compliment. That's impressive, man. Um, so I was just competent. Like I, I was just an important cog. Uh -huh. in, I was like a drummer for a hockey team, kind of. Okay. Not that I'm saying drummers aren't important, but, um, and I think I wouldn't have gone super far, but I would have had a career. 
that or even university. Like I have some friends who are playing overseas and they're taking care of financially very well and get like free daycare in the countries that they're in. Awesome. Um, yeah. But I, part of me also thinks that I would have been tugged in some <clears throat> direction similar to rollerblading. Cause mm-hmm. I don't know. I knew I was a kind of an eccentric person even when I played hockey. Yeah, um, that's 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 interesting because I, in a way, now I wish that I had gone with that other intro where I was going to play that creepy weirdo mu- robot music. <laughs> was it Kraftwerk? No, no, it's 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 ah, oh, it's it's even crazier than that. I was actually I I thought about starting with that because um, when I used to play hockey, uh, my mom would take me to practice, and she only ever listened to a couple of things. She was into like Janis Joplin and people like that when she was a a, a younger girl. Yeah. Um, but in, in her, I guess in her adult life, she kind of let go of that. And typically she would drive in silence. Like she and my mom both, um, were fans of music, I think when they were younger. Um, but anyway, uh, the, almost the only thing that she would ever listen to would be this one cassette tape that we would play, um, when she would drive me to hockey practice. And I had no you know, control or say in it whatsoever, but it's this really, like, weird, psychedelic, trippy music called, uh, by, by a guy called Ray Lynch. Oh, I haven't heard of him. I might have to play this at some point. It's, it's really weird, man, and it's really, really difficult to listen to that and then to go to play hockey and, like, be juiced. Uh, we were drinking beers over here the other night, and we were talking about how hilarious it would be to start with that just because of a connection between you and I and hockey, um, but also very offbeat things like Mushroom Blading and Ray Lynch, whose, whose song titles, let me just read you a couple of these, song titles include things like Celestial Soda Pop and The O of Pleasure and Your Feeling Shoulders and Rhythm in the Pews and Kathleen's Song. This is a real, like, I can Google this guy? Yeah. Because I remember making up a fake band Oh, that would be perfect for this. It may as well be a fake band, but it's, um, it's not. It's really, really not. How did she find out about him? Oh, man, it was like, I'm sure it was like for sale on TV for like 1995, where you get the laser disc and the cassette tape at the same time. It's What what era is the music? Like 80s? Uh, yeah, it would have been 80s. So it has that like bad, shiny production? I'm... I should just play it. Let's listen to like a minute or two of this. Yeah, play it if you have it. I mean, you have to you have to imagine yourself trying to get juiced up to go play hockey, you know, and then and then like this is what you have to try to use to get juiced with. Okay, let's hear it. Can it's pretty soft at the beginning. Can you hear that at all? Yeah. Isn't that a heart song or a heart melody? I think it's all with a keyboard. That's... 
I mean, can you imagine yourself trying to get juiced up to like go lace some fools? Someone seriously play like that was seriously playing in the car? Yeah, all the way to hockey practice. The, the album's like a, two hours long. Yeah, that's a. Uh, yeah, that would force you more into the. I don't know where that would force you to, rather than hockey. I had pump up music and stuff. Nothing like that. That sounds like a melody from a heart song, that I'm thinking of. It's not a cover, is it? I I I can't imagine. Wow. It would go good to skating, I think. Well, it, yeah, anyway, it's it's a, it's a pretty it's pretty weirdo stuff. I like uh, it. But yeah, the point the point simply was just that that um I I I, I when I hear that music occasionally, in fact, my uh my my wife's um uh aunt and uncle um we were at their house in in Rochester, New York, outside of Rochester, and her aunt started playing it on Sunday morning, and I was like, oh, I could think it was hockey because it's like a, it's like a Pavlovian response to think of hockey when I hear that stuff. <laughs> it would be interesting to see hockey footage to that music. Really that strange would be marriage, one, especially like fighting, like those you know those those like fantastic nhl hockey fights you know it's like they got the canadian rednecks like banging on the glass and like wearing red flannel shirts and everything uh, and it's bizarre how it it changes the context of the footage just by dropping in some music like that oh yeah which i think oh, yeah. isn't done enough with uh hockey but i'm sure a quick youtube search you can find all sorts of insane fan-made stuff which i love by the way but mm -hmm. i digress again well let me let me let me ask you another question. This is um, I, I, I suppose kind of related to 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 I guess hockey and skating. But my my question is um, I've seen you um, wearing like shorts and what look like very tight spandex athletic pants of some kind or other. Yes, it's long underwear. Yeah, long underwear. Okay, is that as a result of it being cold, or does that do something for you, or are there any other things that you do to like? get get psyched up to skate because i know that it's cold there all the time right there's a the main thing is i copied it from some of my favorite um creative skateboarders that i like to watch um gumiyagi mark gonzalez and oh god what's his name what's his name jason something the jason dill okay. i think wore those things and i needed to just i'm a big fan of experimenting with with anything I can through skating or clothing. I'm not too experimental, but it, it looked like it must have had some kind of advantage or there must have been a reason why they were doing it. So I had to try it. Oh, also, um, the biggest one to push me over the edge wasn't just those guys, but I, I think Matt Ledoux had them yeah. too. Yeah, he's actually the first person I saw uh, wearing those. And I, I assumed that they were some kind of like, um, I don't know, some kind of performance athletic tights or something like that yeah you see lots of dudes jogging in them too um you know there's i haven't tried compression socks yet but i wonder if um on matt ledoux's side of things if, if that has something to do with it but i did find that i don't know if it was just a mental thing but the first day i wore them i felt kind of really really weird with them on but i skated a lot better with them and i don't know if it was the idea of my underwear being all one piece that goes all the way to the skate 
and especially that they were black and uh-huh. they visually they ran together with my <laughs> gait all the way from the boot you know up to my leg and um, yeah, uh-huh. there could also be some kind of like subconscious level of like you know that's it, I'm I'm mixing the idea of I, I liked it visually too the the idea of mixing super tight with um with something baggier i've always been a huge fan i have no idea why but people like footage and shorts and rollerblading i don't know why but style wise i've loved pretty much all the footage that i've seen of people wearing shorts and i have no idea what that's about so that's three answers were you ever were you ever into were you ever into punk when you were younger yeah but more, more like uh Fat like fat records and um, okay, so like no effects and bouncing yeah. souls and all those kind of guys. Yeah, like I had, I had an Operation Ivy album. That's probably like the most punk I got. I had Bad Religion stuff. I, you know, everyone was part of that explosion. Um, right. Yeah, I was. I guess I was. Yeah, <clears throat> but I never, I never white, saw white teenagers anyway. <laughs> What's that? I said probably white teenagers anyway. Yeah. Yeah, oh, and I was lucky to um, music education, having an older sister and skate videos together was good. So I wasn't just into punk. Um, but I never saw, like, um, nobody in Kamloops dressed traditional punk style because that's what you were going to relate to the... Yeah, because I, I recall, uh, like, here here in Austin, um, there's a strip um, that's called The Drag. It's called Guadalupe Street. And uh, here in town, people call it Guadalupe. Um, which is, I don't know if it's a purposeful defamation of Spanish pronunciation or not, but it is whatever it is. And there's a, there's a number of homeless kids who are called drag rats, and they're kind of channeling punk in various ways, and they're sort of, you know, free on their own terms and whatever else. Uh, but lots of them wear, for instance, like combat boots, unlaced, you know, floppy, you know, the way that people used to wear those uh, rollerblade TRSs. Yeah. Uh, and then they would wear like um, like like thermal underwear, like the white thermal underwear, like you would see somebody going ice fishing wearing. Oh yeah, yeah, that's uh, squeegee punks. That's that's the same style. Yeah, and then and then, yeah, and then you would have like a pair of uh, camo shorts cut off at the knee or whatever, and then a jacket of whatever sort. Almost always with an Operation Ivy patch on the back or something rancid maybe or whatever. See, there you go. I, I that's the most punk I ever got in my CD collection, probably. But it, it, it kind of reminds me of that in a way, but it's 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 almost to look at Matthew Ledeau, um or Ledoux, how do you say it? I Ledeau? say Ledoux, I don't know if I'm right though. Ledoux? Ledoux sounds more French. But I say Ledoux. Okay. I would I would think that Ledoux sounds more French, but my French I I, I can't I have no ear for French whatsoever. Math- uh, Mathieu. But anyway, it, it kind of it kind of seems like if it's if it's like you know, if you if you it, with with white, uh, with white um, um, ski johns underneath or long johns underneath, you know, it, it sort of tends to look punk. And then when you see Matthew Ledeau wearing them with uh, or uh, with with the black uh, long johns or spandex underneath, it's almost like it looks more hip hop. And that's that's an interesting kind of maybe coincidence between the two, where where hip hop and rap culture is, I guess hip hop culture is is sort of traditionally more black or or African American. Whereas uh, punk is typically, with with some notable exceptions, uh, white. Yeah, that's a really good point. Odd, odd, you know, color coordinating of the offbeat genre. Well, and now you see um, the kind of evolution of that, where uh, CJ and 
unfortunately, I'm going to reference Justin Bieber. And I think Kanye wears these things. You'll see them around where they're super tight around the cuff. And then they kind of get MC Hammer above the knee. Okay. It's in yeah, CJ's yeah, edit. Yeah. And it's kind of like an interesting idea of, of combining the two uh, uh, pant styles together into one garment. Yeah. yeah after all, this well, is... So, so- yeah. Why? Why do you think though that when you when you put them on, you you felt like you skated better? Do you think that do you think that it was psychological, or do you think that it had a real effect? It felt like it had a real effect, and it could have been something about just having underwear going all the way down to the the cuff and wearing no socks. Something felt unified. It could just be that maybe I'm supposed to be figure skating instead, and it's like my secret way of wearing like uh, some oh, super good. tight shit. Having some leotards on. Yeah, yeah. Because I even saw. Um, <clears throat> Remember, like, Arlo had, like, a phase where he wore some really wild shit. Almost, like, leopard leopard something or other. Okay. Um, That you could take it really far. I I don't think I'm the type of person to do that. I've had some fashion faux pas in in my day, but nothing too intense. So that it, it actually feels good to skate in. It's the only way I can describe it. Yeah. That I have. Do you wear... Oh, do you what? wear any kind of pads at all? Pads? Like, did you put shin guards on or anything underneath that? No, no. Do you? Do you, is, do you, is there a reason you don't wear any pads? Uh, it feels better. Um, without, although I haven't tried it in a long time, and I don't grind enough for it to be um, an issue. Like shin guards, and I swear from skating rems, like having a lot of forward flex. Uh-huh. I have hit my shins a bunch of times, but there's like a weird muscle there that seems to protect the bone now. Uh-huh. Um, so that's a possibility. A lot of a lot of people say that you know that that it's a, it's a hindrance. You know, it it it, uh, it it's it, it causes immobility and it, it reduces um, your ability to flex and to you know get in the positions that you need to to do certain tricks or whatever. Do you do you do you agree with that? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like. Um, any like kind of movement art or whatever, there's no pads involved really, mm-hmm. or martial arts or anything like that. I guess maybe gloves would be the closest I would go. But even that, like even when I've had a really bruised palm, I've tried to skate with a wrist guard, and it just doesn't. I'm, um, I don't know if I inherited because my mom taught sign language. I do some really weird shit with my hands and my wrists, so when I skate. So as soon as I put a wrist guard on, I feel like I'm losing one of my important connections. Uh, yeah. Um, I have it always been that way or do you think that it's shaped in any ways by what's sort of trendy and, and cool and rollerblading? Um, no, I started doing the weird hand stuff. You can see it a little bit in older videos, but it was when I started just doing lots of set slides and spinning and stuff. And I started getting a little bit more, free with the way i moved on skates um no you don't see a lot of that you see a lot of people trying to keep their hands really relaxed now Uh uh-huh at least that's for 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 me i remember you know when when uh when i first got into skating one of the things that was you know the sort of preeminent trend was to get those lazy legs wrist guard glove things oh yeah i had them and and it was. I mean, you guys, you guys kind of have poked fun at various times about uh, uniforms, and and in a way, that to me felt like part of the uniform. And I wasn't ready to go 
you know, I wasn't ready to fucking get down um, until I had those things on. And then, and then having them on, it feels like, okay, now that's not, that's what it's supposed to look like. Oh, I definitely had that uniform. Yeah. But it, you know, as soon as, as soon as, um, you know, a lot of people like, uh, you know, Brian Bell and Chris Edwards back in the day used to just load up on pads, pro design, elbow pads, huge knee pads, crash pads, you know, the full regalia, so to speak. Yeah, and then it, it just seemed like as as we started going away from uh, street, away from park, or sorry, away from away from park and vert uh, towards street, um, it became almost like a rite of passage uh, to not wear pads, as if we were you know tougher somehow, or that you know we don't need that stuff and we're tough guys kind of kind of attitude. Um, I felt like BG four really pushed that quite a bit because BG three there was more pads. Uh-huh. Um, Mad Beef had a decent amount of pads. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. Arlo seemed like he was just wrist guards. I can't really remember him wearing knee pads. But I do remember very clearly. It's interesting that you brought that up. I've, n- I've never actually thought about There were times where we would we would be skating our ledge spot at Riverside, and we would take off our pads as kind of like a test pilot thing. and. Uh-huh. It felt so dangerous, I remember, when you would like first, it was kind of a novelty thing that you would yeah. skate without your pads for a little bit, but then you would put them back on. And I can't remember, there was just a point, it's so weird to think about, you know, like grind plates and wearing pads, there's just things that got phased out. Right. And it would be really interesting to look into exactly what pushed it over a little bit. I think VG4, though, is probably for in cam loops. And there were some people that that kept wearing them, but... Um, and they fucking stunk too. Lazy they, leg knee pads, especially. I had some of those, yeah. Then uh, I can vouch for that. They smelled like they smelled like a dead butt. Yeah, they smelled like shin pads were always the worst in hockey. So I I swear it's because all of the sweat from everywhere on the upper part of your body drips down and then gets caught. Yeah, well, that and in skates, the, obviously. I have thought of. Um, I don't know if I still have my lazy legs, but maybe trying to find them in storage and if the if the plastic caps are still really good. There are some possibilities of things you could do with knee pads that would be pretty cool, which I haven't seen in a long time. Obviously, it would be more of like a joke trick, but I mean, if you tried really hard, you might be able to do something interesting with them. Well, there's a lot of that that used to actually happen. People would go knee slide and then jump back up to their feet into a stair ride. You know that's that's going way way back into early videos, um, and even the kind of non-canonical videos that you would just see, homemade videos and other things like that from really the early early '90s, like '92 era. There was a lot of that knee sliding business going on. I'll have to watch. Um, maybe 18 days had a bit of it, yeah, or even before days. that. And I think there may be some of it, maybe in the bottom line, uh, and maybe vertical axis and some others of those that are really really old like that. Is vertical uh, axis online? Because I haven't I checked. Yeah, I don't have any idea. Okay. Um, yeah, I. I would. Love I'll say to- though, real fast, uh, as as a as a brief plug, uh, y'all did that um, AMA on the Reddit r slash uh, rollerblading a couple of weeks ago, um, and they have a pretty good store of old videos. They do. They do, yeah. It's 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 up in the top. It's a tab. I think it's called history or something like that. Really? And you click on it and it just brings you to a page that has a ton of old stuff. 
like a like an archive of 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 online videos or stuff that you can buy oh no it's just it's just online hosted oh, okay on. okay okay that's better i i still think um maybe i should make a list i want to try and make a list of everything that isn't up because there's it feels like you know 60 to 70 percent of the major videos are up now and so is it a decent list is it pretty comprehensive uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily call it comprehensive. It's meant to, I think, give uh, a newcomer some kind of a snapshot of the history. But um, I think it's it's comprehensive um, in its coverage, even though it may not be totally comprehensive in its scope. If you if you can parse that out. Yeah, definitely. Um, so like it's got it's going to have you know probably I, I I'm I'm I'd have to go there to look at it. Uh, but but I think it has some of the old videos like. Dare to Air and Bottom Line and Hoax 2 kind of stuff, which I guess they're now hosting y'all's ho- ho- uh, Hoax 2. Yeah. But then it moved through like a couple, every couple of VGs and some other stuff like that. Um, and then into more recent videos that everybody, you know, listening has probably heard of. I think um, eventually what we want to do is uh, do commentaries for videos. We want to do more commentaries for our own videos, but we want to do commentaries for other videos. Now I'm just thinking it'd be cool to have like guest commentaries, stuff like that. If the uh, yeah, I think I think it's gonna be a it's it's gonna be a, a sort of a race to photo finish because I think a number of people uh, that I'm aware of have been talking about that kind of mystery science theater uh, style of of showing a video with commentary. Yeah, and co- I think a number of people are either talking about it. I don't know if it's a race to see who's gonna do it first or what, but. A number of people I know of are, are, are talking about that. Yeah, that came up, uh, Cody and I, when we talked on the podcast. We were talking about that. Because it's, it's uh-huh. such a part of, of growing up and watching skate videos. Yeah. It's, you were ha- we were having our own Mystery Science Theater 3000. I think that's what it's called. Mystery right. Science Theater. Everyone was having their own all over the world when a new video would come out. So yeah. It would be great yeah. to share that. Well, this is this is kind of kind of a tangent and kind of related, but I think it's a good question for you, um, and and relatively on topic here, uh, yeah. with 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 all these trends and sort of having pads and then not having pads, um, including you know helmets at times and not helmets at other times, um, which which maybe helmets is a topic we could come back to at some point, but yeah. uh, also with clothes uh, and all this other stuff, I, I wonder if you have a strong opinion about why style has taken such a firm grip on uh, the sort of rollerblading um, psychology. Why do you think rollerbladers care so much about style, either style of dress or style in skating or just any, any, any aspect of style that you care to comment on? Why do you think it matters so much to rollerbladers? That's a loaded one. There's like two parts to it. One is I feel like with the internet, uh, there's a uh, style seems more similar than it's ever been because of the internet. Uh-huh. Um, Do you think that we're more homogenous now than we've ever been? Yeah, it feels that way, and I don't know if that's like just like abundance of fashion blogs and all this stuff that um, it seems a little bit less separate style-wise than it than it used to be. Um, but style, I think, is you're talking about like it's all relative. I always think of the Shane Nelson quote in Hoax too, 
where it is all relative, but in terms of the style that's very specific right now, like uh, it seems pretty standard with like Haitian Meg, Strange Creatures, uh, Casey Moe, you know, there wouldn't be a place for, I posted a, a skiing street edit and I don't think you would see anyone, you know, sketch on a bungee cord and jump on a ledge and do a street backflip. I don't think that would be a part of any of those videos because in the current way of what's stylish, I don't think that would count in, in what's style right now. Um, that's the first answer about like how similar it is. But on the, on the other side of things, and Casey Moe did a good job of this, it seems like, oh, and, and Eric Schrein also references, it seems like there's just classic tricks and a classic uh -huh. way of executing things because of, I guess there's two sides, because all of the old skate videos are available. Um, there seems to be some kind of a standard for style that is timeless that I do agree with. And it's kind of like the fashion part doesn't matter anymore. Like Nick Labar's uh, Top Mistrial. Did you watch Casey Moe? I haven't seen it yet, no. He does but... a Top Mistrial that it doesn't matter what year he did it or what he's wearing. Just the execution of the trick. I'm pretty sure every rollerblader would agree that it felt fucking amazing when he did it and that it looked amazing. And yep. that, so that, and that's so hard to, to define that. And it, like, cause I know in skiing, it's a really important thing. And in rollerblading, it's so much more nuanced, I find. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Eric Schrein in that, uh, the recent, the digital one meg. He was talking about how he likes the classics for tricks, and I kind of related that to people like Brian Shima or John Julio. Um, there are classic styles and classic tricks. Yeah. Um, Frankie Morales. I'm trying to think of some other ones. Obviously, Dustin Latimer, I think, goes beyond timeless into just like you could just reference uh -huh. his tricks as style. Um, yeah. Or John Elliott. Let me let me let me ask you this though, because uh, you you talked about um, you you mentioned um, uh, what was his name the the guy who used to do the the, the toad out soul grinds not Martin Apple the other guy. Oh, um, Randy? No, Bernal? No. In, no. in in the Guerrero podcast? No, no, no. You just you just talked about him a second ago, saying um, that he he's in the hoax too. He's quoted as saying everything's relativistic. Oh, oh, Shane Nelson. He, Shane Nelson. You yeah. said if if you do a trick and it and it feels good, uh, but someone tells you it looks stinky, you know, like don't let anybody tell you that. I mean, that's where kind of where I come from. <clears throat> but I do, I'm I love watching rollerblading videos and have watched every rollerblading video, so I feel like I know how to do you know a nice i know the difference between if i do a nice sweats dance or a shitty sweats dance yeah so there is and i'm still struggling with that like my my integrity of <laughs> the way no, things yeah are. i i totally agree and I, I think that i think that to put it at least as as a binary you know we have uh some people are of the opinion that uh there is uh an absolute 
and fixed set of standards or guidelines and that, you know, such and such things count and such and such other things don't count, you know, so that the bad sweat stance that you're talking about just is such a bad sweat stance that it doesn't count. Not that it's such bad style that it doesn't count. It's that it's the style is so, so bad that it's not just bad style. It actually, you know, un, uh, dethrones that trick as ever having counted versus, for instance, uh, <clears throat> a more relativistic uh, worldview that would say um, that, that it depends on uh, how well it fits in the video with the music. It depends on uh, the outfit that the, that the person is wearing. Uh, that there's so many other factors that make it effectively relative as opposed to being, um, you know, absolute. And and it's so weird to think about. If I do a back farve to forwards, I laugh every single time. And I'm sure if we put it in a video, it would be so obvious that it was a joke trick. And I like that. But you watch John Julio in, it was like an old Life Plus edit where he went to go skate with a kid in his hometown because he won a contest. John Julio did a back farve, I think, to forwards on a big down ledge. Mm-hmm. And that trick can look so bad. So bad. I don't know why. Back farve to forwards. Just like me doing that is hilarious. John Julio doing that, it looks freaking amazing. Not that he does it a lot anymore. And I, I'm so confused and I struggle with that all the time because I love both. And it's like, can I do a back farve to forward that looks as good as that? And, and, and we kind of touched on this in the Guerrero podcast, and it's like sometimes if I try really hard to make a trick look good, it can look almost funnier uh-huh. than if I execute a bad trick. So that's where style gets really tricky for me. Do you think it's important to have a consistent worldview, to think that the world is relativistic or the world has fixed properties? Um, not for not for the way my brain works. Probably for a lot of people. Um okay. Like in, in the United States, for instance, in our in our in our politics, uh, politicians will be crucified uh, for for being flip floppers if they do one thing and then later change their mind. Um, and and there's lots to be said about that. It probably has a lot to do with the ideological entrenchment of our country. Um, but there's the, you know, on on the one hand, some of us would be, would be tempted to say, well, look, if you had a bad answer, if you had a bad idea, get the fuck rid of it and get a new idea. Um, and be versatile, be flexible, um, and and some people feel that way, and, and that's 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 more of a of a you know non-fixed worldview or a relativistic worldview, and and others have a very clear <clears throat> sense of you know you have to have made up your mind in the beginning, you have to decide what's right and wrong, and you have to stick to that come hell or high water, and and I see those two camps kind of side off in rollerblading, and I wonder. If if you if you feel strongly one way or the other that in, in rollerblading do you need to have a, a constant worldview or or do you need to be flexible or are they um, do they exclude one another? I feel like it's a pendulum for me personally. Okay, that it can go back and forth. Um, like that. I don't even know if this answers it properly, but me. Watching Casey Moan getting super inspired by uh, cla- like classically nicely done tricks on on unique obstacles, shit that I could never do, got me really excited to make a video that possibly they wouldn't enjoy because it's it might not be set in standards. I don't even know how to explain that. 
I get inspired by both. Um, but I feel like the standards one is, is having standards is really, it's safe. And I think over time, it's a good thing to stick to, but getting lost may, and maybe making some mistakes and making some shit once in a while is, uh, can lead you to even better standards in the future. Okay. If okay. that makes sense. I don't know. Well, <laughs> let me, let me, let me, let me add this then. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Recently, uh, y'all put out y'all or you or y'all put out a video of you, and and it's I think it's it's called something like before mushroom blading or something like that. The best of before mushroom blading. Yeah, yeah. So what does that mean? <laughs> it's more of a joke because we just stole the term mushroom blading, so mm -hmm. it's kind of like before we made the video mushroom blading, best of before mushroom blading the video. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That it's kind of that, and I didn't really understand. And I was thinking to myself, everything that you're doing in that, I would categorize as being mushroom blading. No, best of before mushroom blading the video. So it's yeah, everything from a year perspective before that. Right, and it's but a it's a. Would you agree though that the kind of skating that you're doing is similar to the kind of skating you do that you would now call mushroom blading? Do you yeah, call your own skating mushroom blading? Uh, do I call my own skating? Mushroom blading? Yeah. No. <laughs> no, you don't. You you call it rollerblading or what? Uh, yeah, I call it rollerblading. I would love to call it. I called it freestyle rollerblading in the in the description because I saw that freestyle kayaking video, and I wanted to use that, uh, that term. So, yeah, I did see that. Um, oh, no, I can tell you, the waterfall in that video looks way bigger in the first shot than it did when he went over it. Oh, the did you watch the one on Jacob's Wall? Or there was two that I posted. There was one that I posted on on the no, Facebook. I saw the one that you posted on Jake Barnes' wall. Yeah, I gotta watch it again. So you think he went over two different waterfalls? No, I think it's the same waterfall. Oh, but okay. I think the way they shot it made it look really, really huge. When I when I first saw it, it looked like a fifty foot waterfall, and I thought, "Fuck, that guy's gonna go over that thing on a kayak." And then and then it turns out it's still a big ass thing, and I wouldn't be you know caught dead going over that in a kayak or a barrel or anything else. Um, but it looked more like a 15 foot or so waterfall rather than, or maybe 15 or 20 feet, Yeah, you know, still big ass thing, but not 50 feet. Like it looked like, or at least that I was led to believe when I first saw it. Yeah. Yeah. It, I love that. That was a really cool, uh, I, I would love to see something done like that in rollerblading. I was worried for him when he first started talking because I thought, oh man, you know, when you try to get people to talk seriously, it usually backfires. He, well, I wasn't expect. that's why I shared it. I wasn't expecting him to go over a huge, I thought he was just going to be in like a, some rapids or something. Uh huh. So it was, it was cool that he just chucked off of a waterfall and the emotion at the end was really good too. You could see, uh, how good of a feeling he got mm -hmm. from jamming over a waterfall. Yeah, but, totally. I digressed again. That's why I use freestyle rollerblading. I would love, I, I think, I call everything rollerblading uh, for better or worse. I mean, I th that's what it is. Mushroom blading is, is, a, is a, a term taken to kind of cut one video era off and start another one, mostly. Okay, okay. That's, well a number i mean a, a number of us i think look at look at your skating and 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 Todd's skating everything from uh just just the kind of normal things that y'all do in a skate park some of which seem very canonical or or sort of central to what to what most people think of as rollerblading soul grinds fish brains 
you know, uh, the kind of canonical tricks. But you also do lots of wacky stuff, or or what a lot of us think of as being mushroom blading, yeah. as a distinct kind of skating. The way that hockey is a kind of skating, um, speed skating is a kind of skating. And I would actually jump up and I'm never, I'm almost never a prescriptivist, but it bothers me when people want to conflate style with kind, where people people will be inclined to say that something is a style of skating, that hockey is a different style of skating. And while I would agree that it, yes, it has a different style of performing, uh, you know, the the action of of skating, um, it's not a difference of style; it's a difference of kind. And while there is a difference of style, because there's a difference of purpose, uh, trying to score, trying to defend, trying to advance the puck, whatever, um, it is. It, it does have a different style to it, but and different skates and hardware and so on and so forth. But it's more important. It's a, it's a it's a better superordinate category to call it a different kind rather than a different style, and so I, I would just say that speaking maybe only for myself, that I think of mushroom blading as a kind of skating rather than a different style of skating. Do you do you do you think of it as? I mean, you just said that you think of it as all being rollerblading, um, but. Some of us, some of us, look at what y'all do and think that's a different kind of skating from what I do. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I think you'd catch people saying a bit of both, because um, I mean, well, it's you, a big world out there. So yes, absolutely. You see, uh, in in snowboarding, um, skateboarding, even skiing now, there's kind of that same style or kind. <laughs> happening in those other sports too and and you see some really interesting discussions happening um that gumiyagi one was really interesting that he he didn't actually do an ollie was was kind of the concept behind the 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 section and then people would say you know this isn't skateboarding this is art and then that that opens up a whole different thing but it it seemed like he was doing a different kind of skating even yeah. just based on the concept of the section, yeah, because the ollie is kind of the basis of a lot of skateboarding style, but that could be argued too. Hmm. Um, anyways, that's a side well, point. Let me let me let me let me move into a, to a next question that might maybe put you on your heels a tiny bit. Uh, <laughs> I want to know. I want to know if you think that um, it, if if mushroom blading um, is is a kind of skating that is maybe reserved for people who aren't interested in doing big stunts? Is it by definition exclusive towards the more technical, the more intricate, uh, and on a smaller scale, um, or not? No. It's, well, what I do, yeah, for sure, in the way that I see it, but you look at someone like Rory Melahan or Charles Dunkel. Roy, Rory Melahan, very specifically. Um, even Matthew Ledoux a little bit. There's stuff that they that could be considered it, kind of. And even maybe some of Dustin Latimer, although his second word section had... No, it had some big stuff, too. But even the stuff that he was doing, I guess, some of it gets absorbed into more traditional rollerblading, and it becomes standards, like wall kicks into grinds and things like that. But no, Rory Melahan did some really bizarre stuff that was big. In uh, if you look at his rushing roulette section, 
mm-hmm. I think it is. Um, so for me, yeah, it's pretty small. <laughs> it's okay. not. It it can be <clears throat> dangerous, but for me, it's it's not. No. And and a lot of that stuff in some of the other sports that you see that you know people say just as a, like a novelty thing, you know, mushroom boarding or mushroom snowboarding or mushroom skiing. A lot of that stuff's kind of the same thing, where it's yeah. it seems to be very playful and and I guess small, you could say. Would yeah. You- would you include a word like playful in a definition of mushroom blading? I think, uh, well, the person who's nailed it the closest was that article that Nick Riggle wrote uh-huh. in the Aesthetics of Skating. If you uh-huh. just Google mushroom blading, it's like it comes up on the main first search results. And I've I, read it, it just hasn't been recently. I know, yeah. the, I know the article you're talking about. Yeah, he. Uh, I'm pretty sure he used it in that. And so, yeah, I would agree with that. He used alien. Um, uh, he used, he said, like, rollerblading and, like, rollerblading-y movements that, that, that traditionally skating has pushed aside. And, and figure skating movements, he said, lends it a unique and beautiful artistic power. He had some really good descriptors. Alien was really good. I like that one. Or almost alien, maybe he said. Not full-on alien. Almost alien. So, yeah, and Playful was in there. Okay. Yeah. Well, one, one of the reasons that I ask is that you routinely post videos of, <clears throat> of skiing and, and, other, and other, other sports or action sports. Or really, really all kinds of stuff. I guess you all post a pretty wide range of things. Uh, and I don't necessarily want to um, include every post that you put on Facebook as being you because it could have been Todd, right? You both post from that account? Mm. <laughs> it's a lot of me. I have okay. a little bit of an obsessive personality, but yeah, Todd posts on there too. Okay. Um, so I, I don't necessarily want to implicate you solely because he may play a role, but um, um, it, it seems it seems it, maybe maybe it's it's just you and uh, but but I think that there are a lot of a lot of skaters, uh, rollerbladers who who are interested in mushroom blading because it's it's fun. And it's playful, um, and and a lot of the bigger kind of stunts, uh, some people may perceive as being less accessible. You know, like if you think about putting on your skates and going to go do something right now, presuming that the weather were were um, appropriate. Yeah. Um, I don't know that a lot of people would think to themselves, "Yeah, let's go do a, a, a you know twenty five kink rail, or a, a, a twenty stair drop ledge, or something like that." They think. Um, you know, I want to go goof around, and so the things that the things that are maybe inaccessible, like big big stunts, a lot of people don't even think about doing those things because either they they can't or they don't want to or they're scared of you know getting broke off or whatever. Um, but you know, your skating is lots of times in in very creative, fairly small areas uh, with if if you'll pardon me, um, not a lot of high risk environment. Let's just say for sure. Right, um, but yet you post things all the time of like huge gnarly skiing, um, and, and and a lot of people doing some pretty crazy gnarly things, and and I wonder if there's not a kind of a contradiction that we could tease out there. Uh, the, no, that comes from a place of uh, rollerblading sometimes being a closed circle, and and you know not being into other things. 
because I know I was really guilty of that, that I wish I would have skied more, but I was so 100% into rollerblading that I wouldn't have thought of going to a ski store locally and, and buying a ski video. So that just comes from a place of being finding inspiration from lots of places. Okay. Because, yeah, especially that mutiny video, I mean, people say that that's the crazy one, right? Where guys are doing like skating through over houses and stuff or skiing through houses and um, mutiny was uh, it's it's people who just do street skiing and and you okay. know but that's burly shit, right? Like that's big ass it that when I post that stuff it comes from a place of of um, whether this is true or not or I've created this in my head or it could just even be a reflection of me is that you know people think that they can show other sports leading the blind and, and that they'll instantly be impressed and, and give respect to rollerblading. But then I, I find things that, and, and people get confused when I say this, but that some sports do rollerblading better than rollerblading does rollerblading, you know, that some of that stuff in mutiny is just so huge and looks very rollerblading. -y. Um, yeah that we should be sharing those things. And I'm still dumbfounded that there isn't a crossover between the two sports, but that's a whole other topic. So I share that. I share stuff. Um, there's two sides. I share stuff based on the kind of creative way I look at skating, but I also share stuff based on just being a huge skate video nerd. So, okay. okay. Yeah. Cause it just, it just seems to me like on the one hand, you want to see the more playful side. You want to see the more intricate technical side. Um, and I would compliment you really quickly on um, the the, um, the how-to video where you were doing swivels. Oh, yeah. I, I really like the part where you're talking about uh, putting pressure on the ball of your foot so that you're getting at that second-place wheel. Yeah. Uh, I really, really like that. And in, in, in the sort of annals of history... Um, there were a lot of us at Woodward who spent a lot of time thinking about rollerblading in that way and thinking very mechanically about the body. And if you want to do, for instance, a true spin topside soyal and you want to do it really well, you really have to drop that one hip, you know. And thinking about it mechanically like that I think is really helpful. Um, it's really, really bothersome to me to watch some how-to videos in rollerblading where people say, well, so you come up and you act like you're doing a royale and then you do a true spin kind grind and you just practice it a while and then you'll get it. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it's, 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 I, I, I would like to, to sing your praises for, uh, seeing, seeing that mechanical side and seeing that there is, um, a, a, an anatomical way, um, maybe not the only way, but, but, you know, at least a starter way, um, of learning how to perform a totally alien maneuver like that. That was the first time I talked about it out loud, so that was me actually working it out on camera, kind of. So there was editing involved, but I was actually discovering that for myself as I was doing it. I was like, oh, I should put my hand down and pretend that it's the ball of my foot. And then I realized that you can swivel, if you lift all your fingers up off the ground, you can swivel your hand just like you could swivel your foot. So was it retroactive that... that just talking about it is what led you to understanding how you were doing it or how yeah that work? yeah i uh yeah i just was doing a lot of talking 
and I was just kind of working it out, and then it it happened that way. I hadn't like written it down before or anything. It, and if you do, if you've done something long enough, you can really think about how it feels, and then yes. from kind of go from there. So, like a like. So a, you maybe had an intuition that that you were doing that, and then when you started talking about it, it occurred to you that that's what you were doing. Yeah, and also skating a rockered frame helped me understand that a lot more. I think, or okay. a rockered setup. How 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 do you rocker your skates? The frames that I had in that video are those frames are freaking amazing. It's it's solid one piece of machine steel that the outer wheels are it, the wheels are all the same but it's 4 millimeters higher on the frame where uh -huh. the bolts go in. So it's 80 millimeters with the outside wheels 4 millimeters up. Um yeah, feels good. That setup is great. And then uh, so is that a two, is that a 2 mil rocker? 4. It's it's it feels it like seventy six is on the outside, but it's eighties. If that makes any sense. Well, right, but but depending on depending on how they do that, if you're moving, if you're moving it, if you move the 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 um, I mean it's 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 a it's already rockered the frame, right? Like it yeah. doesn't have spacers. Yeah. And so from center of axle in the middle two is four millimeters lower. Yeah, it's either you know I should know this. I think that it's the outside is. Or I guess it's both. Yeah. <laughs> I always think of it as the outside is four millimeters higher. I'll have to look at my frame. You could look four, it up. Uh, it's four, that, four mil sounds pretty severe. It is. Let okay. me look it up. Uh, deluxe. I, I swear don't know it is. People out there have actually skated rocker frames. I kind of feel like I've, for a long time, I thought I was I was one of the only ones, and I've been encouraged to find that you got you. Or I don't know if Todd does or not, but that you at least. Uh, skate routinely on a rockered frame. He was the one who got me back into it. Let's see here. Uh, deluxe rockered frame. Oh, there's different sizes of it, I guess. Um, Do you have it, to buy a different frame to get a different rocker? Yeah, the the best part is that it's like it's just a solid piece of steel, and uh -huh. they're pretty pricey because a lot of uh, aluminum frames are two pieces, kind of like put together. I don't know how the machining process works, but this is, it's more expensive because it's out of one piece of steel. So it's super freaking solid. And uh, there's no other, there's there's mount options on the skate, but I'm pretty sure even in the picture, it looks, it is a pretty severe rocker. They're, they're pretty crazy when you first try them. Yeah. They feel way more wobbly than you'd be used to, but um, that's what we were on for a lot of the last video. Yeah, the severe rocker is good. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, rockering. Yeah, that's 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 a whole thing. I, I would, I would be, I would be really pleased if if more people would be willing to try it. But given given the state of of um, most aggressive frames, um, you know, you're you're kind of stuck rockering with wheel sizes a lot of the time because a lot of the aggressive frames don't have spacers anymore. Yeah, that's how we did it uh, with the Volo frames. It was sixties in middle in the middle and. 57s on the outside. Well, uh, yeah, and, and that this is a good question too as a follow-up. Um, how how I think a lot of people will be concerned about trying out a rockered skate and being concerned about 60s in the middle, depending on the frame, uh, of getting wheel bite. Do you get? Uh, do you have a lot of issues with wheel bite? Not in the not in the volo frames. Um, is it because of the smaller grinding space in the middle? In the middle. 
it's a smaller grinding it's a smaller grinding space and the the frame walls are really thick so the groove is is shallow and further out if yeah. that makes sense the, yeah. the the thicker frame makes makes a big difference i remember um yeah being able to royale and in back backslide and um front sides felt really good yeah i haven't had any wheel bite problems in in volo in celtic i did um but it's just because that groove is different to get used to um and then i tried experimenting with the blank frames and it was they're made for anti-rocker so yeah if, if you do try rocker um follows really good and leon thinks that if if rockard was more standard not just from an aggressive point of view but just a learning how to skate point of view mm-hmm. once you got past the kind of unique feel of it i think people would be able to learn how to skate easier on a rockard frame I, i'm not sure mm. I, I think i i agree with him there would the learning curve would just be longer but in terms of enjoyment of skating yeah rockard is just for the standard person it, you wouldn't feel as stuck to the ground rollerblades wouldn't feel as dangerous once you got used to it that's kind of the point yeah. yeah that's that well let me let me move on to a, to another another topic yeah let's do it um i'm curious to ask you about um a little bit more of the kind of um ethical side of of being a a person out in the rollerblading media as a- <laughs> yes um, and and in particular, I want to ask about responsibilities and and what responsibilities um, do you think that you have to the audience of this podcast? Do you think that you have any responsibilities to them? Um, no, I think the only responsibility that I have is to make good videos, and the podcast will evolve over time into something that might have more responsibility but it's still so early um to 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 say um because we've done a a hundred i mean this this will be what the 169th podcast or something (laughs) yeah quite a few i mean that's that's a lot of podcasts i feel like you have to have some kind of commitment to be you know entertaining as a minimum so the responsibility to the audience i guess would be sharing enthusiasm for skating okay but that's not like the mission statement i mean if you look at what is it if you google what did todd type in if you google mushroom lane like on the twitter it's the how to be unpopular podcast media art rollerblading and everything weird and so the how to be unpopular podcast was the first one was a fluke it wasn't we didn't even think that we had listeners for the longest time and now it kind of has evolved. So, um, I just feel like sharing enthusiasm would be the, the simplest way I could say it. Cause I'm sure there's people who listen to the, the last, <coughs> um, the Dan, the Dan Liefeld podcast. Uh-huh. And I mean, there's so many people who might listen to that and not listen to the podcast for a long time. And that's fine because, I think all of it is interesting um, and there isn't really a standard yet and maybe some people might think that it would be better with a standard but I just love how it's a mix of 
everything. And and enthusiasm for rollerblading, I, I do think, is a thread through all of them, if that answers the question. Yeah. Um, well, at the moment, and, and I, I could be wrong, it, 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 at the moment, though, it seems that you all kind of have the monopoly on podcasting. I'm not aware, I'll just say, of anybody else who does a, a weekly podcast. Or a, or a, a uh, pod- Tree Rudolph and Ryan Benner. Uh-huh. Um, I think they have one episode or two episodes. They were going to start one. They did start one, but they haven't done a lot of episodes. Uh, Rolling Revival was obviously the first. They had some great guests. I'm not sure if the back episodes are up, but like Joe Navran and they had Arlo on. I think they had Dave Payne on. Um, it, I guess there's something about time and commitment and trying to schedule and... Um, that's the only reason why and nobody else. Is too. We've talked many times before that there should be at least 10 different rollerblading podcasts. So, so you, you, you don't, for instance, feel threatened in any way of losing your monopoly. No. In fact, it would be amazing if there was more rollerblading podcasts. I think okay. there should be, I think that every brand should have a rollerblading podcast. I think that people that do have, companies and and things should use their network and uh, i mean the the range of different people that can get different stories compared to what we could and even then it's like if they wanted to have us on the podcast we could go on or uh, they could talk about how our podcast isn't good on theirs and i don't know it'd be really interesting if there was a bunch of rollerblading podcasts because i'm pretty sure there's people who who might like the podcasts of ours that don't like our videos. And that's crazy. That's exciting though. Mm-hmm. Um, well, do you, do you, do you, do you worry for instance, that if there were more, that there would be too much kind of market saturation of podcasts, that there would become some kind of podcast fatigue where um, too many people, there'd be too many people doing podcasts and it would just drown out like the zillions of Facebook posts by the zillions of rollerbladers who post about rollerblading on a daily basis. I think it would work itself out. Um, if people really liked doing it, they would just continue to do it. Some would would kind of uh, fade away or maybe not have as frequent episodes because there's uh, – since I, I thought when I first started getting into uh, comedy podcasts, for example, you know, I had – I listened to just – let's see. I think just Joe Rogan for the first bit. And then now there's so many that – I don't know. More choice is good. I listen to everything now. I'll just try out a little bit of each podcast, and then if you find one you really like, I don't know. I think it would be amazing for rollerblading. Uh, that, that sounds that sounds like a like a like a borderline economic model, like a like an Adam Smith, uh, you know, Smithian concept of the invisible hand, where the market will just deal with it itself. And if there's <laughs> lousy ones, they'll go away, and if there's good ones, they'll endure. <laughs> I, I yeah, and. Uh, I love when people make lots of stuff too, and I listen to lots of podcasts. So the more rollerblading podcasts, the better. Like I, I, I do. I think there's people who are like yourself, Kevin Down. People who are regulars on our podcast could very easily have their own, um, and I would for sure listen to them. I'd probably be like the first person to listen to all of the ro- rollerblading podcasts, and maybe yeah. the first person to comment. I'm just a huge nerd for rollerblading still. So, uh, yeah. Well, you're, 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 you're touching on a couple of things that I want to maybe come back to in a second, but cool. I want to keep asking you about responsibilities. Yeah, yeah, uh, let's go. The, the, next, the, next, the next bullet question I have here is, 
is whether you think that you or you and Todd, um, and maybe I shouldn't ask you to speak for Todd. I could I could ask him sometime on my own. Uh, do you think that you have any responsibilities to rollerblading? Um. No, just kind of the same thing that I said. Well, I guess this is a yes, but to share my enthusiasm for it is the okay. biggest one. I think that. Um, Why would that be one of your responsibilities and not somebody else's? To share my enthusiasm for it. Yeah. Just well, my main thing is is the videos was was is my enthusiasm for skating. So. Okay. My I spent I don't know fifteen years trying to make the feeling that I got from hoax too, pretty much. And then the podcast kind of ended up being a byproduct of the videos because we would bullshit about skating like everyone did. And then Todd just randomly sent me a recording one day of him talking and was really scared to release it and wasn't sure if he wanted to. And then that's how it started. So I always feel like podcasts are just part of the videos and uh it's that enthusiasm for when i originally saw mad b for hoax 2 okay but in a talking if that makes sense yeah i don't know that was a really long answer i can try and shorten that down though if you want well i I, it blends into the last version of this question which is just that um it whether whether it's you or rollerbladers in general do you feel that all rollerbladers uh you among uh, you among us uh, do you feel that we have any responsibilities to rollerblading? I think just to go rollerblading, to do the activity, that would be the biggest. I think everything else works itself out if you skate regularly. <laughs> it's a really short answer, but I think actually just going rollerblading. And not just, it doesn't have to be doing tricks, just going rollerblading. Because... Yeah. If you go rollerblading, you'll come into work the next day in a better mood and you might talk about rollerblading to someone. You know, I don't know. And then that relates to the enthusiasm for it. Okay. So, I mean, I don't think if you didn't rollerblade, you wouldn't have any enthusiasm for it. Does that answer the question? Yep. Yeah, it does. <laughs> okay. I mean... Well, just just to, to weigh in really quickly, it seems to me that one of the things that we all, and 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 I'll I'll be so bold as to speak for the whole of the community, which is rare, um, but I, I think that one of the things that we all like the most about rollerblading is that we do have a sense of community, um, and that being the case, I think that we all have some responsibility to make a contribution to the community, uh, and not just take from it. Yeah. Um, that, that's... And, and, and I think for a lot of people that is just skating or even skating at a high level and not consuming any media, not reading any articles or um, writing any articles or doing podcasts uh, or even being in videos um, or even watching videos. A, a good friend of mine here in town um, doesn't know who hardly anybody is. Um, he's been skating forever. He's seen like four or five videos um, and he just loves rollerblading and his contribution is is um is 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 to skate but also to to be to be a member of the community that helps get stuff done he helps with contests he helps with box sessions um you know and, and i think that there's a lot of ways to help and i think it's important to point out that if we do love the fact that it's a, a community and we we you know champion the idea that you can go anywhere and be instant friends with a rollerblader 
um, then then you have to have some allowances for there to be a responsibility for all of us to make some kind of contribution. I wouldn't necessarily want to specify what that should be, whether everyone should write articles or everyone should do podcasts or everyone should make edits of themselves and put them up. Um, but but I, I do think it's important to encourage people to, to, to strive to make some kind of contribution. I completely Without that, I have a hard time understanding that it would be a community. I completely agree with that. Um, I do think that, yeah, yeah, I think you're onto something. I think that going rollerblading is probably the most important part. Yeah, that, that's, that's a perfectly solid answer. I have no <laughs> argument there at all. Um, and I think the community thing is starting to work itself out in a really interesting way in the last little while. Um, and the roller news changing to Facebook comments. That's a whole, that's probably a whole podcast in itself. It probably could be. Um, but I, I do feel there just needs to be a couple more bridges built here and there. And uh, I think the community thing is, is getting better and better slowly. Slowly. I think sharing things is probably the most important thing right now. Um, uh-huh. Sharing things, not, not, just, not just sharing a link, but maybe a quick little reason on why you like something or mm-hmm. uh, I love sharing older videos and saying why they're interesting. Um, I love that, that Vimeo and Evan Stone, that Bo Coddington hit Evan Stone up and, you know, hoax two goes back up and, you know, I get to say for me, that was like the rollerbladers Bible. And I get to put that on the Vimeo description and then everyone all over the world can download it and, get together and watch hoax too. Yep. That's freaking amazing. I never would have predicted that you could do that. I would have thought that like, if you were really into hoax too, you would have had to make VHS copies and mail them out. If you couldn't buy it anymore, I wouldn't have known. Yep. So little things like that, sharing things that you're really into and enthusiastic about, that's a really simple way to do it. Yeah. Um, but going skating is the most important on top of it. Do you think that there's different responsibilities for people higher up? Do company owners or 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 um, or, or other people have more responsibility than than say others? Yeah, that one's fucked. I mean, I can't really talk about that because I've said before how rollerblading could have the rollerblading community could have the most interesting discussion if we actually got to see numbers of things mm-hmm. like real data of yep. skate sales and what people got paid and everything. And you could have the, the best global online conversation just based off of that information alone. And I do hope that over time things will get more transparent, but I, I don't know. I can't speak for the, the company owners. I think some of that seems like a violation of privacy though. If I were, if I were in a position to make any money from rollerblading, which I'm not, and no one in rollerblading really is, 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 uh, I don't know that I necessarily would want that that part of my private life known. Well, maybe even just if everyone admitted <laughs> like that they were struggling, like there could be an illusion that there is money to be made in rollerblading and maybe there isn't any right now. Maybe this was the worst year for rollerblading sales ever. And you don't have to give out your numbers, but maybe if some people said that, maybe we could agree that there could be one awesome company that everybody supports instead of all these other 
I, I don't know. Something like that. I feel like that part's still a little bit silly to me. That that I wish there was more discussion. I wish company owners were more honest. I, I just feel like it's a that they're in a, a strange position too because they're they put all their eggs in the one basket. They don't really have any other choice, right? I'm sure if I. I would I would say though to be careful because calling them dishonest is quite a long way. Uh, no, 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 not dishonest. Not I'm saying know that that's dishonesty. I just I've said before that I think that there'd be benefit of some company owners coming on the podcast. Sure. Um, and they could promote the shit out of stuff. They if they wanted to just come on and promote, that's completely up to them. I think that would be great. I just think those little things could go a long way. Um, do you have do you have any inroads as far as uh, getting getting any company owners to come on? Have you asked anybody? Yeah, we've we've shot messages out. I think over the past year or two to a bunch of people, and I think the fact that this is unedited um, would be number one. And number two, I I do agree that you know like some company owners are like if you own a brand, you know you want going on a on a two-hour podcast to speak, you don't want to say the wrong thing, right? But I think being vulnerable is uh, beneficial, even for a company owner. Yeah. Well, I thought, to, I thought, to, oh. to, to maybe to maybe put you on your heels again and, and, and maybe make you vulnerable, I would, I would be keen to ask, um, how do you decide who gets to come on your podcast? Because you are a kind of a, a gatekeeper for who gets to come on and whose opinions get, get out there. Uh, and admittedly, you've, you've brought on a very diverse cast of people, um, but do people ask you to be on and you have to say no or you have to say, yeah, well, let's let's maybe talk about that and then let it sort of fade into oblivion? So far, we've just said, at least I have said yes to everybody <laughs> that's asked to be on. I mean, okay. if, I, well, if, if I had time, I would have everybody on. Well, may, maybe after this, you're going to get a tidal wave of, uh, of people. <laughs> like uh, the eye roll NY? Mm-hmm. He just hit me up, and I don't know. I just know him as Iroll and Y. I don't actually know his name, and I would have to research more about what he does. But that would be f- so freaking interesting for me because I don't. I've never been to New York. I know a lot about the history just growing up watching skate videos. So yeah. selfishly, that would be super interesting for me. And have like, you, have you ever had a podcast with someone whose identity you didn't reveal? Uh, like if somebody had a BMAG username or a or a Reddit username, would you have a person on and only refer to them by their username? If mm, if they were open enough, because if it was just a novelty thing, the it wouldn't be very listenable. I mean, if it was a short podcast, maybe. Yeah, yeah. If they wanted to use a different name, for sure. But if it was like, yeah, yeah, I guess we're open to everything. Well, there's, I mean, there's a big tradition in, in journalism, for instance, where uh, to write some things, you really need to create a pen name, uh, either either because you're writing stories that are, are uh, controversial um, or because the person needs some kind of anonymity. Um, there are, I think, needs for anonymity at times. Um, and, and sometimes, like in, in, uh, like in my wife's field, there's a lot of people who do what's called experimental fiction. And... It's the same person, but they create a separate identity who writes, who authors that book. Um, and there's, I mean, gender, for instance, is a great example where um, 
you know, J- like J.K. Rowling, for instance, wrote uh, the Harry Potter books. Yeah. Um, I myself haven't read those books, but I know a tremendous amount of people have. Uh, and when I was in Scotland, I actually had the the, the um, good fortune to find the coffee shop where she wrote those books. Um, but she wrote that as J.K. Rowling uh, to purposely eschew knowledge that she was a female. Uh, now, that wouldn't necessarily work on a podcast because you're going to hear somebody's voice and Unless you had a particularly androgynous voice, you wouldn't necessarily be able to pull it off. But that is something that's, that's I think, necessary at times. And maybe in a different podcast, we could talk at length about anonymity, specifically in terms of uh, – or, or in, the, in the context of um, roller news. I, uh, there has to be a, a time and a place occasionally for anonymity to be necessary. I love it. I, I think there should be more of it. I'm trying to think of anything in the history of skating where – because I know there's uh, – there's a guy in skateboarding called Neckface. I think that's his name. And he wears a ski mask when he skates, and he only skates uh, those tall parking barriers. Okay. And he's created this really interesting persona, and I'm trying to think if there's anything like that in rollerblading. Not specifically with a ski mask or anything, but I would love that if there was more of that. Yeah, for sure. That that Dan the the Dan podcast was it was insanity. I know the I. I, I listened to part of it earlier because I was trying to get a good survey of things that I hadn't heard of, uh, and so I listened to part of that podcast, and I know that y'all were talking for a while about him changing his name and so on, and I don't know how serious that was or not, but... He 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 did have... Um, there was an alter ego named Todd Beanfeather that he did for a little bit. That was really interesting, and uh, I would love to see more of that. It was like a... He was like a shy kid that was really into skating, and uh, I remember Todd Beanfeather had, he was on the Volo setup page, and he also did a, a really interesting video with a voiceover about why he loves skating, like, in a different character. And he, mm-hmm. and he said that he has a publishing name and an art name, I think. And uh, whether any of that's true or not, that podcast was interesting just based on the idea that you could do a podcast and, and ham it up and play a character and it could be a piece of creativity in itself. And I love that. So I'm open to all of it. <laughs> Anyways. Well, uh, just, just, to, just to push that a little further, I think that given, given the nature of street skating, there are, a lot of, um, there are a lot of occasions, I think, when you're, being, you're getting your names taken by security guards or police where you're not being booked, but you're definitely being written down. Um, and in Austin, for instance, we used to skate at the University of Texas, which has some of the most glorious spots in the world, many of which are now capped. Um, but some, some, a uh, couple of handful of rails there would just, just curl your hair. I mean, just blow your mind. Um, and you would be amazed at how many tickets and, and, uh, criminal trespass warnings Champion Bomb Stimler has and Randy Roadhouse Spicer has. And Arlo Eisenberg has because we used to give fake names of rollerbladers, uh, some of us, um, so that if you ever get caught at the University of Texas rollerblading and you say that your name is Randy Spicer, uh, you're likely going to get taken to jail because he's already got like two or three hundred, you know, warnings. <laughs> what would you do for address though? Would it just be name? Like uh, you just make up an address or something. Oh, okay. This That's was when we were like fourteen, fifteen years old. Yeah. 
<clears throat> I think, uh, yeah, if you ever saw, there's a picture of Todd in the Count's newspaper where he called himself Brian Shima. Mm-hmm. That was really good. And I think someone used Randy Spizer once. That It's fun. Well, the, the point, though, is that, like, graffiti, you know, gr- the, the, the people who, who do graffiti, uh, they have a tag name. And partly because if they, you know, you wouldn't write your own name on the wall, you know. Yeah. You just go ahead and tag a huge side of a building and then write your name and address and phone number and email address right there so they can find you. You know, I think that there are there are things that can be said in rollerblading that may require some anonymity, but I think that there's a very fine line between um, needing needing protection at certain times versus uh, just having you know the free for all to just talk shit on 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 a message board or or website of any kind. Yeah, I think about that actually. You know, some and some people don't have the luxury of using their name and swearing online, or maybe talking about if they've used illegal substances before, or anything like that. You know, or right. being uh, uncomfortably open, like what can happen on podcasts. Um, yeah, well, and and the internet is a fairly permanent place. I mean, you can you can there there are there are you know backed up versions of the internet that you can get access to in various ways. Um, and and it's it's it, it is going back to what you were saying a second ago about be about uh, you know company owners or sort of higher ups in rollerblading uh, not necessarily wanting to come on your podcast. Um, I think that there's a real fear about the permanence of it. Yeah, I. I mean, I, people I, don't you? Some people, some people, depending on what job they have, could lose their job over something like that. Not just in rollerblading. I mean, most of us have jobs outside of rollerblading. You, me, and ninety-nine percent of all the rest of us. My boss actually let me link my how-to video and write a blog post. I'm lucky, though. For video production, you can be a little bit more eccentric, and it works. So, um, but that was a that was amazing that my boss let me do that. Yeah. I mean, that could link people back to the site that I've worked with his clients, and they could click on any one of the podcasts and find out weird information about me and I'm completely fine with that. Yeah. It's kind of like the, uh, at least for my work, I'm lucky that way. I mean, if there's other jobs that I could have that could be disastrous, that I just do a shout out to a fake vagina in the middle of a podcast. Yeah. Well, yeah, there could be any, any number of things like that. Um, but on, on that same topic, I've got a couple more, couple more questions for you. Number one, um, in, in, in the interest of getting more people to come onto your podcast, and, and you have expressed just a second ago that you're really keen to kind of come one, come all. You haven't turned anybody down yet. I, I hope that I don't, you know, trigger a tidal wave that has you, you know, denying people all of a sudden. But do you think, are there things that you could be doing differently that would maybe attract uh, people? I mean, you've had some fairly high-profile podcasts, um, but is there is there anything that you think that you could do differently to attract uh, more people to come on, or maybe hire up people in in rollerblading to come on. <laughs> um, maybe like if it was a standardized format, and uh, maybe if if we weren't so unpredictable, and if humor wasn't such a center point of some of the podcasts, and maybe if we made. Uh, more traditional videos that benefited more people. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's just that 
we're so far outside of um, the rollerblading historical thread that uh, there's got I don't know the comedy thing I always think about people maybe if we if we were more yeah standard a more standard format and very if we just kept it rollerblading uh-huh. and, and it wasn't and we didn't go off on personal trails but unfortunately that's what makes podcasts really interesting for me is that there is I my favorite ones are the unedited ones so yeah. Um, if they were edited and very strictly rollerblading, yeah, for sure more people would come on. But that's not – even the way that we make our videos can be uncomfortable possi- probably for people. So that's just the way it is. And that's fine. I, and, and like I've said, I would full-on listen to every other rollerblading podcast. If someone did do a more standardized podcast – where Shane Coburn and John Julio and Brian Shima could come on. Yeah, I would listen to it, but I would love for them to come on these podcasts too. So, well, so, so, I mean, you, it doesn't sound like you're actively trying to change things such that you could draw those. You're maybe going back to that Smithian uh, notion of the invisible hand of economics to provide other podcasts where maybe that information could come out in some ways. Uh, if there were different podcasts who were doing that, yeah, yeah, um, and and we could cater to like let's just say if someone messaged us and said, yeah, I will do the podcast on these conditions. Of course, we would we would change some things. I'm not sure if we would go so far as to edit the podcast. So, mm-hmm. if, um, but if they wanted to keep it within very specific topics, okay, yeah, for sure, I would do that, but. Um, so you said Smithsonian? Is that what you said? Uh, Smithian. There, there's Smithian. a famous, a famous, uh, famous um, econ- econ- economist whose name was Adam Smith, um, who had who had this this idea of the market, the capitalist market, as as having what he called an invisible hand that sort of ushers in certain things and sort of uh, excuses other things from the market, and it's it's just a kind of a <clears throat> Oh, it's not a supernatural force, but it's I guess it's I guess it's imagined as being a, a a governing principle of the market that things will fail and other things will succeed and that just is a is a principle of the market itself. I imagine I, I imagine that's not close to your way of thinking of how markets work. <laughs> just well, based no. on the word supernatural. <laughs> No, no. I mean, I, I, I just, I, I'm not an economist, and so oh, okay. I can't really yeah. speak. But I, last time I took an econ, economics class, it was ten or fifteen years ago. Yeah. Um, so my hesitation has to do with not being able to do it justice. And oh, certainly okay. Yeah. Someone out there in the in the audience is is sitting there, you know, cringing over my mutilation of the concept uh, because they're studying economics in college right now, or. Or, or maybe there's an economist listening to this. Who knows? Hey, it's but way better than I can as, do. As far as I understand it, uh, it, it seems to be a decent metaphor, uh, which I think is probably all it was ever intended to be, but maybe I'm putting more onto it than, than I should. Uh, just, just that the market sort of behaves in, in, in mysterious ways at times, and things that look like they're going to succeed don't, and things come from left field and wind up being a huge hit. You know? And, yeah. Yeah. Calling it the invisible hand of the market to, to shoo things in and, and shoo things out uh, is, I guess, as good a metaphor as any. Whether there's actually a giant invisible hand uh, is yet to be seen. 
Well, and that's kind of how I've experienced making videos since the beginning of making videos. That's just kind of been how, because there's probably a hundred rollerblading videos or probably more that are, are way more part of rollerblading history than our videos ever would be. And I imagine if there was that many podcasts, it would probably be the same thing, but there would be a group of people who still would enjoy our podcast, just like they would enjoy our videos. So yeah, I kind of looked at it the same way with videos that I, I, if there was no podcast and, and no online video, and there was still rollerblading DVDs in shops, we would still somehow be releasing small runs of DVDs, whether they were successful or not. I'm pretty sure. Um, so yeah, the competition thing has never bothered me at all. It excites me actually. Yeah. And I don't, I don't even know if it's competition anymore as so much. It is people just making stuff and sharing what they like, which is even better. So anyways, well, well on the, on the, um, on the same topic though, of, of who gets to come on, um, I would, I would, I would, I, I guess as delicately as possible, or maybe as indelicately as possible, um, draw, draw your attention to, to, um, to a question, uh, that I have for you, which is, which is, um, about, about women in rollerblading and particularly, uh, particularly about women on the podcast. As far as I can tell from a quick glance, uh, Todd has done two interviews with women. Uh, one I think was his, his wife and the other was with Angie. Um, and as far as I could tell by scrolling through the list, you haven't done a podcast with any women. I had my sister on. Yeah. You did have your sister on. Okay. Yeah. Um, ha- have you, other than, other than Angie and Todd, have you ever uh, tried to get a woman to come on to the podcast? Any of the ladies or... or uh, no, I want Shannon Rogers. I, I would want. I haven't messaged her yet, but um, it hasn't uh, crossed my mind, but now I really want to do it. Okay. It, I almost feel like um, when podcasts I listen to, the they've been incredibly interesting. Uh uh-huh. the the ladies that have been on the podcast. So, if that's the first name that comes to mind, um, should well, definitely have more. There there are a lot of a lot of women, and I think that uh, <clears throat> as as being going back to the earlier uh, topic of of whether you have responsibilities. Um, I would be inclined uh, to to say that you do have a responsibility to try to include women, as as I have as a as a as an author for a blog and and as uh, writing articles. Um, you know, I think that I think that I have a responsibility to to include women uh, as 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 much as I can or as much as um, is reasonable, but at least to do it at all, because those of us who are in one form or other a a kind of uh, in a position of power, so to speak, to to channel. Um, attention in various ways, and to to engage in the um, what's what's called the uh, economies of attention in some in some circles. Uh, your podcasts um, and my articles and videos and other things uh, do uh, have have I think a very structural effect of channeling attention towards cer- certain things and away from other things. And uh, y'all have I think done a very good job of. Uh, <laughs> Pointing out 
more offbeat kinds uh, kinds of skating and and styles of skating and uh, things to think about. And I think that you've had a really diverse, um, a fairly diverse cast of people come on the podcast. But women are noticeably um, uh, kind of kind of skipped over there. Um, and inter- I have what do I have? Where is it here? Oh fuck! Did I not? I had statistics for you. Oh yeah. Yeah, of our of percentages of male and female just um, on Facebook likes. Not I, I'm not able to ever get like on Vimeo statistics. Um, but it was a small percentage of of females, and I think just even based off of what you said, if you had more females on the podcast, if we had more females on the podcast, that number could go up. And that's a really good thing. One, actually the first female that I ever wanted to have on the podcast, I've tried to get, um, my girlfriend on the podcast, but I, she won't even do a voiceover for five seconds for work. So that I'm still working on that one. Um, but mine and Todd's drama teacher from high school. Um, I was going to try and get her on and I just Mm -hmm. haven't had the balls to message her yet because, Podcasts are still confusing to a lot of people. So, yeah. Well, I, I grew up with Shannon, and I can tell you that she would probably be willing to do it, and you should send her a message. And if she's listening, Shannon, uh, you should do a podcast because it's great fun. It's hilarious fun. Definitely. Just selfishly too, we're born I think the same year, same day. So, um, is that a fact? You and Shannon? Yeah. If she's eighty-two, um, she's April fifteenth. I'm impressed. I don't know her birthday. I've known her for 15 years, and I don't know her birthday. I think that was just uh, Facebook, though, because you can oh. see who have who has birthdays the same day as you. So right. I, I'm always interested within the skating network. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure it's same year. So I just I would be interested to talk to her just to see if there was any connection there, because I, I I've had people say you fucking 82s before, like people born in. 80 uh, especially have been like oh you fucking 82s are so weird so well if there there are a number of women that i would encourage you to to reach out to but one who comes to mind um who, who i would encourage you to reach out to is a, a gal named katie ketchum uh who is from buffalo um but she's been around for a very long time she's part of the kind of greater woodward family uh i met her I guess I met her the first time at a super hick way, way back in the day, maybe 2003. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of talk about Chris Haffey being one of the only people who's a rollerblader who's making an income uh, off of rollerblading. Um, and I, if I recall right, going back to that issue of privacy, I, I feel like in, in the, in the, when, when Todd talked to Chris... Um, I feel like he was asking him directly what his salary was, and I think that Chris balked. Um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't know to to say one one thing or another about about the income that Katie Ketchum earns from skating. But I can say that she has been earning an income from rollerblading this whole time, and almost no one talks about her. She was a rollerblader in the Cirque du Soleil show, I think, in Toronto. I could be wrong about that, um, but um, I'm working on a piece right now, and I was speaking to her about it the other day, and she actually had to leave the conversation to go and do rollerblading at a post-Grammy event 
uh, in which she was rollerblading. That's so interesting. I never think of that stuff. Somebody, so somebody, somebody out there had some big Hollywood after party that was eccentric enough or creative enough or whatever enough to want to have Katie and presumably some other people. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what the, I don't know what it was. It would be great if you could bring her on and ask her what the story was. I'll swivel the fuck out of an after party. Well, I mean, the reason that I bring it up is because one of the things that's really uh, interesting to me uh, about the work that you are doing and the contributions that you and Todd are making with Mushroom Blading and with the podcasts and with your videos is that you're drawing attention to things that are unique perspectives and, and off-the-beaten-path kinds of things. And, and yet there's still this trend where it's a male-dominated thing. And even those of us who are trying to be offbeat and to include uh, things, things that are kind of more off the radar, we're still doing a bad job, all of us, of, of including women. Yeah, I agree. It, and that's that's just been a thing that we've talked about before. That that uh, The thing know. about Katie, though, is that like Katie is such a great example to point to, I think, because you know what, what she offers is a very different perspective on rollerblading and that seems to be something that y'all are, are, are about and and as as a kind of a, a a means of putting a crack in the dam to maybe getting more attention to female rollerbladers um, I, I think that her her perspectives are are just emblematic of of the kind of perspectives that we're missing as a result of not including women yep and I think to bring it back to the responsibility question Probably the podcast would be, you know, the sharing enthusiasm for rollerblading could easily be uh, changed to uh, sharing enthusiasm for rollerblading with people who have a different perspective. So I, I love the idea of, yeah, having her on the podcast and and me saying, oh, what, really? I don't Never know, I don't know if she'll do it. I'm hoping that she will, but I, I think that as a minimum, you should at least ask her because... yeah. There's so much talk about a handful of people who we presume are making some kind of income, and here she is 15 years later as a professional inline skater making an income and has been this whole time while the rest of us have been in school and working various jobs and doing various things, and she's been rollerblading for her income this entire time. How old is she? Do you know? Um, I guess it's, 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 it's irrelevant. She's, she's a couple of years younger than me, but... Um, uh, she's late twenties, maybe or or so. Very interesting. She's older than twenty five and younger than thirty five. I think that that's probably the best I can do without. That's the average rollerblading age. Seems like. It may be. It'd be interesting if we could, you know, reach out to some of the other people who are um, in college, and maybe we could get somebody to do some actual demographics and get some numbers. Because, like you were saying earlier, I think it'd be great to have some actual data. That's, I don't necessarily personally want to know anybody's income. I think that that information should be private and should be protected. But uh, you know, it's 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 one of the same reasons why when you have a job, uh, most people don't want their their employees to know the earnings of their other employees because it gives you extra ammo to be unnecessarily critical. Absolutely. <laughs> like you think, oh man, you know, Steve, that guy doesn't do shit, and he makes twice as much as me. Fuck that guy. And then now all of a sudden you've got an inner office problem. Yeah, yeah. And morale problem and everything else. 
And it seems a, to be one of those cases where there's there's some privacy and anonymity that's absolutely required. And frankly, these people have no obligation to us to tell us what they make. It's true. That was ballsy of Todd to ask it, and it was ballsy of Chris to say it. And I and I do still think that 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 information on that podcast was a crazy peek into <laughs> that that whole world that we don't hear about very much. And I was surprised that there wasn't more conversation about that. But that could just be that maybe not a lot of people have listened to that podcast, or maybe that's not important to discuss. But yeah. that was insane that that was actually on there. As a side note. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, let me let me change gears a little bit and ask you uh, a question that I, that I, I I think that we were going to discuss the last time that um, that I was on, and we kind of ran out of time or something. Um, but. I don't necessarily want to pontificate about it, but I'd like to hear you speak more about it. And and the topic uh, is just of carbon skates. Um, w- I would like to hear what you have to say about carbon skates and and how well they they work or how badly they work or what 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 place do you think that they have or should have in in rollerblading? Yeah, this is a good one. I was talking uh, with Leon and Todd about this the other night. Um, the new uh, SX boot, which is also the the CJ boot. Uh huh. Um, so SX from from Ciba. Yeah, standing for skate cross is the. I've tried adapts briefly. Um, I bought the carbon ones, and then this is I guess, and I've always used carbon in um, when I do distance skating. You know, speed skates, uh-huh. cardio stuff. Um. And then obviously my hockey skates are carbon. So I got these skates, the SX ones, and I only got to try them a few times before it snowed. But Aldelega, I was having trouble describing how carbon skates felt. And he used the term twitchy. Mm-hmm. And um, when I had said that to Leon, he agreed with that. Um, and there's something about carbon skates where it feels like they're, they feel like you're supposed to skate really fast forwards for an extended period of time. Or like the SX is skate cross, obviously, so they're perfect for an obstacle course. But there's something about the feel of the carbon skate that they're... It's so hard to describe this, but being almost too responsive that there's something about the way the energy gets transferred for doing tricks that um, even watching a lot of people who have transitioned to carbon skates, I've preferred their skating in a plastic shell more so than um, in a carbon skate. And it has something to do with the way that they react. And I know Kato has said before that just from a flex perspective, um, he would never make a carbon skate. I think he said that a long time ago. I don't know if he's changed his mind or whatever. Um, and the adapts felt really, really good, but a really interesting combination of a speed skate base, and then the cuff kind of felt like a remedy. And they're super fast and very responsive, but I have no idea how to describe it. There's just something that they're they're only meant for a very specific style of skating and that I can see why things like the V13 or an SSM and that boot people go back to. And that style is very 
traditional and classic in those skates. Um, that's as much as I can say on that. I, but I, I can see a place for them in skating. I just don't know, for me personally, trying out a bunch of skates. Um, I, it's plastic plastic boots are just still they feel the best for me personally still yeah um but i i am open to experimenting with carbon more there's just something about that twitchy responsiveness that like for roller hockey amazing if you're bombing down a concrete version of a red bull crashed ice course amazing perfect skates for it but uh the way that they just feel is uh, something something doesn't translate well into doing tricks. Anyways, what's your take? Well, um, I, I wonder if there's not something intrinsic to the you know the way the way that we were talking about those of us who worked at Woodward, you know, back in the day, we would tend to focus on. Um, the, the, the kind of corporal corporeal experience of rollerblading and, and looking at at the mechanics of it you know to say uh, if you want to be able to do this trick or if you want to be able to jump higher or you want to be able to do certain things um, you know your body needs to be doing these certain kinds of movements um, and the way that you were talking about in the in the swivel how to putting that putting that weight on the on the ball of the foot and getting on that second place wheel um, there, there to me seems it seems to me that there has to be something to it that, that there's there's something anatomical or mechanical about how we we need to move uh, and how we need our foot to move and how we need our skate to respond to that movement um, that works better in a plastic boot with a liner uh, than. Then maybe can work in a in a in a carbon boot, you know. I, I for instance think that if you have if you have the classic kind of uh, plastic boot with a carbon or with a with a liner, uh, your foot can really move around quite a bit inside there without having to move the shell. Yeah. And and I think that those those small tiny movements are probably necessary and probably go on a lot more than we might think. Um, we were. <clears throat> Some friends and I were talking the other night about, you know, if, if if you had to lose a body part, you know, everybody, well, obviously you don't want to lose anything on your face because that's metonymic for your identity. And you don't want to lose a finger because you have to shake people's hands and people tend to look at your hands and you also do a lot with our hands. And maybe maybe the best thing to lose would be a toe. Um, but my immediate thought was, you know, if I did lose a toe, how would that change my skating? Would I not be able to do certain tricks the way that I do because of things that I don't know that are being performed by my pinky toe? Yeah, that's the one that I went to instantly, and that's a really interesting thing to think about. And the 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 I mean, it's it's all hypothetical, obviously, but my thought there is that <clears throat> maybe the pinky toe is doing a lot when I do a front tour. Maybe it is doing a lot when I'm balancing uh, a fish brain or or a backslide or a royale or anything like that. Um, maybe just the way that it's, 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 you know, kind of scrunching up in, in, inside of my skate. Um, maybe that's affecting other tendons in my foot that are allowing certain things to happen. I don't, I don't know. I'm not, 
uh, versed well enough in anatomy to even have an opinion about the pinky toe. Um, but my thought is that just just with that as an inspiration, there probably has to be a lot of small, small movements that your feet are doing when you're doing certain tricks, and we probably haven't been paying attention well enough to know. I think Rob G would probably be a good person to ask uh, because he seems like the kind of person who spends a lot of time thinking about his body and what his body is doing and how it needs to be doing certain things at certain times in order to be able to execute the way that he wants to execute. Um, and the problem that I see maybe, because yeah, I haven't owned a pair, but I've skated in them um, quite, a few, quite a few times, um, my size and everything, which matters. Um, but I did like the way that you all said twitchy, um, and that did make me think that it's too responsive. You know, maybe perhaps it's just too responsive of a thing, and we don't need that kind of precision. Um, the second thought that I have on that is that if you're skating anti-rocker, what good is all that precision anyway? Yeah, that's a really good point. Well, and they don't feel that for flat. I mean, you're right. You're very right. I, I've thought, I mean, this is getting way out there. Two things. I think if roller, if everybody used rollerblades and their feet evolved, I could imagine some kind of an outside second big toe where your pinky toe and the toe beside it turn into a super toe that you can kind of control like your big toe, but on the outside of your foot. God, I was just thinking that there wasn't going to be any comedy at all in this podcast. And then, boom, right here towards the end, you introduced the super toe. <laughs> yeah, on the outside of your foot, and it would help a lot for skating and balance. Um, it would be smaller, but it would be one toe. And, it might um, not be because we've done a lot on rollerblades, and we've done it with our with our pathetic two outside toes and not the one uber toe. You look at a lot of rollerbladers' toes, though, and those two toes want to come together and make one toe. My pinky curves under my pinky like curves towards the toe beside it, the second toe or whatever it's called. And Josh is basically our his pinky toes go directly underneath from skating smaller skates. Um, but the second thing is, I still think um, the evolution of the original boot design for you know figure skates, hockey skates, everything with the heel lift. You look at clop skates as well in speed skating where the heel can lift up. Uh-huh. I do think that skates will evolve to a point where it flexes like a shoe. I just don't. I'm not an engineer, and I wouldn't know how it would go. But if you ever are in your bare feet on the floor uh, and you start imitating tricks, it's really interesting to think about oh, how, yeah. your, how your foot moves, especially for things like royales and fast slides, like how your foot would curve if right. it if it if there was not a lot of material around your foot, but you could roll with you know, bare feet and curve your foot. I do think that that's where skate design could evolve to. And style wise, it would be immense. And I think that that's why carbon only works for skating full speed forwards. And I think as a park skate, like someone like CJ, it's, it's an amazing skate. If you're really good at park, it it, carbon works for that. But I think for the nuances of style and, and everything, um, I could maybe even see carbon heels and then a, plastic like a carbon heel possibly and then the rest of it plastic but i'm not sure i'm no skate designer anyways i I do see some kind of a flexible base because you even look at skiing and snowboarding there are tools flex um underneath them and it's weird to think that uh just the idea of someone walking what what's that yeah the the board you're talking about yeah 
yeah, they're the things flex. Uh, not so much for the, the tips of skis flex, not underneath them, but they do use that to their advantage, that there is flexibility in their tools. Like a hockey stick flexes, you know? It's weird to think that a base of a skate doesn't flex, and our foot naturally wants to flex within it. Um, I'm, well, we know, we know that it does flex a certain amount because uh, anybody who skated um, uh, freestyle or anti-rocker has broken frames in half right at the H-block. Yeah, and that see that right there... It, just, so we know that there's the potential to flex, and it can flex to the point that it fails. Um, but I, I would, I would, for instance, say that you know if you have, if you're a, a, a taller person or a larger person, and you have like a size 12 foot, for instance, uh, if you jump a pretty big gap, anti rocker, I, I'm going to bet that you're probably going to flex the the frame enough to actually put those anti rocker wheels on the ground, at least during that initial impact. Oh yeah, if you watch. Um I think Todd's going to be editing his little best before mushroom blading. He jumped, he 180s this huge double set in Vancouver and uh-huh. he had murder blocks and obviously the sound's not going to be in it cuz it's ripped for another video, but his murder blocks he said touched like grinded against the ground when he oh, landed. Oh sure, yeah. That no, and that, that I, was a pretty standard thing. No, I just I would just yeah, exactly. I would point that out to say that there is a lot of flex in a rollerblade frame and boot. But it hasn't been uh, – no one's challenged the idea of it like actually being, you know, that's what our skates are, that our boots do flex and our frames do flex. I feel like that's what they want to do, and that's why we get broken shit. I could just see that it it would work. And I've looked it up before. I've seen some patents. Uh, Solomon attempted it, and some ice skate maker – tried to make it like a really old patent from 19 some ridiculous 1920 or 30 that it would actually make the sport more accessible too because if you look at someone walking in grass with rollerblades on it it looks awkward just because their foot's locked in like that anyways that's my tangent about well you know there's a number of people who know a lot about uh, skate design. I mean, Jake Barnes, I think, has spent a huge amount of his time thinking about skate design, and he might be somebody to ask. I, I think I, I've I've told him that before, and um, I think a lot of the people who actually know the way things work, a lot of them have said that it. I don't think it would work, and that I, and I think there's probably a lot of companies that have talked about it. It would, but I, I swear that's how I see the evolution of my feet wanting to skate whether it's a thing or not we'll see yeah. uh, well that, it occurs to me that it might produce that such a thing might produce something that isn't really recognizable to a lot of practitioners of rollerblading uh as a rollerblade yeah I mean, and i've thought of that, that as actually uh, ad- oh go ahead there's that guy on tv i don't know if you watch it up there or have seen it but there's a guy who has like a tv show about dogs about training dogs oh, yes. and he around on, on those landscapes <laughs> yeah yeah Land rollers, but I've heard those being referred to as rollerblades in a podcast before, in a comedy podcast. So, well, that that may be the the, the sort of average public may look at that and say, "Oh, it's a rollerblade." But yeah. if you give them to me, I will say that that is definitely not a rollerblade. That's some other kind of a thing. And I think that would be advantageous if there was people love new things. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think that a lot of rollerblading is is fairly conservative in what it likes and what it's willing to 
uh, you no, know, not not rollerblading. The rest of the world. Oh, oh. The outside of rollerblading. Um, I've said it before. I I think that I think that rollerblades could have a walk. Or sorry, rollerblades are the discman. Roller skates possibly could be the Walkman, and I think there's still like the MP3 player possibility for oh, rollerblades. You're leaving out the mini disc. You're mini, leaving the mini, mini disc. Could have been like Shadows, possibly, because it's mini discs were was really good sound quality. I had one of them. Um, mini discs was good technology, but they it just couldn't skip. They, couldn't, they couldn't skip. They couldn't scratch. Uh, you could record on them like a tape recorder like you used to be able to. That was the big drawback with with CDs when CDs came out, if you ask me, was that in a lot of ways the tape was superior, not necessarily for sound quality, but definitely for its versatility. And the Minidisc preserved all of those things, and it was writable on both sides of the disc. So you had just as much <clears throat> uh, space, if not more, uh, on a smaller thing that you couldn't scratch. I mean, I don't know how many copies of some of my favorite albums I've bought just because they were in the car and got all scratched up and became unplayable. Oh, yeah. Minidiscs were protected really nice, too. It was in a cassette. Yeah. There's, there's that crazy movie that came out um, in maybe 1999 or so called Strange Days. Oh, yeah. It's a really fucked up movie. Um, but they, they I, don't know if, I don't know if anybody, you or anybody listening to this is familiar with the movie or not, but <clears throat> it's this sort of uh, horror sci-fi show where there's a, uh, a, a innovation in the future where <clears throat> uh, they have these, these sort of caps that you can put on and you can put on the cap and go and do something and record it on a mini disc, even though it's supposed to be futuristic and it's, it's not supposed to be a mini disc. It's supposed to be some fancy futuristic thing. Uh, but what it does is it records uh, those brain waves and you can basically play it in your own player uh, in your own brain and you can have that experience. So somebody who goes base jumping off off a bridge and parachutes down safely to the ground, and you're too scared to do that with your own life, um, uh, you can just get that tape and play it and have had that experience, and you experience it in your own brain, uh, and it's a pretty crazy idea. What winds up happening in the movie is rather terrifying and, and gross. Um, I won't get into that. If anybody wants to watch it, get ready for it to be weird. Uh, I remember a weird sex scene in that movie, unless that was Judge Dredd or one of the other ones. I can't remember. And my sister had the soundtrack to it, and I remember enjoying uh, that. Yeah, um, I gotta watch that again. Is that would that be considered cyberpunk? Like, was that from a novel? I or... don't know the answer to the question. Oh, okay. Anyways, I, I do not know. But let me let me just say though, as as um, as as you uh, taking taking a, a a play from y'all's playbook. I will point to the fact that we are now at two hours. Oh, yeah, we are. Holy shit. Over. And I would like to now ask, move away from Strange Days and that, that horrible um, business uh, contained in that movie and, and move into asking you, now that we're at the end, are there any things that you feel like uh, in your first, is it your first interview, reverse interview podcast? No, there was one other one that I did with uh, Tree Rudolph. Ah. Okay, yeah. where he interviewed you? Yeah, and we didn't even get through much of it because there's so many awesome side topics that happen. Okay, okay. Um, well, that that notwithstanding, <laughs> uh, are are there any things that you f- didn't get to cover? I mean, obviously this is your forum, and you get to say what you want when you want to say it. Um, 
Oh, are there yeah. any topics you want to address that didn't get covered? I just want to go on record that I, I'm a huge fan of John Julio and his skating. And uh, any jokes, especially the power blading one that we're beating to death, uh, is not directly towards him. It's more directly towards the idea that uh, that uh, skating bigger wheels on a set of Volo wouldn't be accepted for his brand is a funny joke to me. So I I was I was certain the other day that I'm just going to get a, call, a phone call eventually with Julio being really mad at me. Um, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I okay. just wanted to say that I was, yeah, I was going to have you actually reclarify that because I didn't, I didn't actually understand a word of what you were trying to, to say, but now, now it's clear. You don't, you're, 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 you're a fan and you're a friend and an ally to John Julio and his efforts. Yeah. Yeah. We just, it's, uh, we make lots of jokes and I think more jokes should be made even to, just comedy in general um, that I, I just don't want anyone to think that that we dislike so yeah it's not yeah it's not from a, a hate perspective it's from a fun joking perspective that mm-hmm. I think would would be good but like I've said uh, he has a brand and it's I could see being on his end of things. <clears throat> It being pretty serious and being, pretty being the butt of a joke. Um, no, because he, whether it was him or Victor or someone on the team that that uh, tweeted that thing or Instagrammed it or whatever, I thought it was a really funny political move within rollerblading that deserved to be highlighted a few more times and discussed. Uh-huh. Um. So that's where I came from. And it, I, you know what? I don't even know if it was him. Could have been Victor Arias on his account for all we know. Um, so I just wanted to, to say that. That and, and um, if anybody hasn't listened to the podcast that Leon just recorded when he was driving up here, um, that was the op- that's the opposite of what I was just talking about. It was crazy how honest he was about... The whole story behind that liner and everything. Um, and I'm really excited to skate those liners. The new uh, Intuition liner? It's <clears throat> the craziest thing that he said in that podcast and that he told us that they're, they've been producing the best ski liners for 30 years in skiing. And I think snowboarders... I think prefer the liners. I'm not totally sure, but I just know the hardcore skiers, best skiers in the world, love intuition liners. And this, the owner of the company just, he liked Leon and had a good conversation with him and just decided to make a rollerblading <laughs> liner. And it's the most expensive liner they've, they produced. I think even compared to their ski liners is we're so lucky that there's a cool enough company owner that did that for Leon. I don't know. I'm really excited about that. I don't know what other companies... How much do they cost? The There is no retail yet, but I know that the Aquas were 175 and the Ski Liners are in the 190-200 range. Is that Canadian? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. How much different... 
I'm, I, I, this is actually a failure on my part to prepare. Um, what's, what's the difference between the Canadian dollar and the U.S. dollar? I think it's changed just recently. Um, it used to be pretty equal, and now I think we're behind in the game. At least I just saw that on the news, some kind of a poll where it's like, do you think the drop in the Canadian dollar is going to affect your shopping trips to the United States or something? So, uh, okay. um, yeah, that changes things. But I just I wanted to uh, say listen to that podcast that Leon just did. Okay. Because it so was just the, him the driving in his car telling the story oh. about how it came to be and stuff. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Is is there I, any? Oh, go I've ahead. Had, I've had I've had a lot of fun doing this. I I I feel like we covered some good territory. I, I hope that the that the audience doesn't find this to have been too uh, too focused or too interviewee. And not funny enough compared to what they're accustomed to, especially with some of the more recent podcasts. Um, I, I bet, I bet people. But I had fun, and I hope I hope that you had fun. Did you feel like you had you, you were well represented? Yeah, it went by really quickly too. Yeah. Um, yeah, this was really good. I, I think uh, if you get a chance to do one of these with Todd, it would be really interesting because it would be probably so different from this one. Um, and it and it worked way better just one on one instead of three people. Yeah, yeah I love this. This was great. When you have too, I mean, we we already interrupt each other quite a bit, and I think that that's just part of what you get when you're skyping and you don't have the person to interact with. Yeah, I'm a big interrupter. I well, I interrupt people uh, in person quite a bit too. Yeah, well, everybody's bad at it. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I'm not excluding myself. I'm terrible at it. I try, I try actively to uh, to to curb it as often as I can. But you know, some, sometimes you get excited and you just have to keep talking. Well, you listen, so that's more important than anything else. I mean, you can be an, an interrupter and a listener. You, if you're just an interrupter and not a listener, then that's not good. But you listen. There's a lot of people who don't listen. That's an excellent point. And when when you're only when you're only uh, you know, listening to think, you know, to get your next point ready to launch. Uh, that's, that's bad as well. Yep. That's sounds like the internet. Yeah. Touche, sir. <laughs> well, that, this was really good. I think people would prefer this style of podcast over the other ones, but who knows? Who knows? There's a little let, bit of, let, let the invisible hand decide, right? Yeah. I'm all about that right now, at least today on this podcast. <laughs> well, you've you've maintained a consistent relativistic point of view throughout, so so cheers to you, sir. Oh, thank you. Um, well, that's it. I'm. I guess I'll draw a picture of a foot with a super toe. Now, outstanding. Um, and this will be up very soon. Okay. And, well, and, outstanding. Uh, uh, thanks for taking time. Doing this. And yeah, well, I should be thanking you. You're the you're the interviewee. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, so, so uh, you know, Mr. McGarry, thank you very much for coming on. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. I hope that the, the audience has enjoyed their time with us. I certainly have. Um, and I look forward to doing it again. All right. Have a good night, and thank you for having me. Yeah, sure thing. Take Later. care.